Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. I'm thankful you're here. We're kicking off a new series today, but there's so many great things that have been happening, are happening. Uh, And so if I've not had the chance to meet you, my name is Jeremy, my wife, Corey, and I uh, get the incredible privilege to pastor Generations Church. And so I'm thankful you got up today and chose to be here with us. And, uh, and I think you made a great choice. You're going to find some of the greatest people on the planet right here uh, in this room. And uh, so I'm thankful that you're here. And if it is one of your first few times to be with us, or you're still relatively new and you're trying to learn a little bit more about our church family, today we are hosting an event that we've been calling Salsa with the Staff. Now, not like salsa dancing. I don't dance. Uh, but I do eat Mexican food. You can tell, right? So uh, we've got salsa, queso, guac upstairs. I don't know if we have any guac. Did we have guac? I didn't see that. Anyway, we've got some stuff up there, and uh, we asked you to pre-register. This is just an opportunity for you to connect with us, us to connect with you, learn your story, and uh, we had over 40 people register. We had a bunch of folks after the first service, so if you register to be a part of Salsa with the staff, we'd love for you to stay after for just a few minutes and uh, allow us just to connect a little bit, and, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, that you're here today. Even if it's not your first few visits or you, you're not relatively new, we're thankful that you're here And then next Sunday, we launch our fall semester of groups. So if you have ever been in like a small group, G group, life group, whatever they called it, wherever you were at, whether it's our church or any other church, if you've ever been a part of a small group connected to a church, raise your hand. Awesome. That's great. So all of you are required to sign up this semester. Um, If your hand wasn't raised, that doesn't mean that you're not in the cool kids club. It just means that you've not experienced the incredible blessing of kind of biblical community, and that's what we strive for, that we would live in community with other people, encourage one another. We are not a social club, so you're going to have fun and socialize together, but the hope is that within these groups, you are also growing together in your relationship with God. So you don't have to show up. There's not a pop quiz the day you show up to ask all these Bible questions to qualify you for that group. We just want you to come and be a part of it. And so today when you leave, uh, you're going to get some information about all the groups that we're offering this semester. So those will be on your way out, and then you can see those on our website. You can sign up for groups on the website. Next week, you get to meet all the leaders out in the lobby the next two weeks. So we want you to be a part of groups here at Generations Church. We believe in them, and we want you to be a part of those as well. And then everybody say August 20th. Not everybody said it. That's okay. But uh, that is Sunday Fun Day. That's when we conclude this series that we're starting today. And uh, Sunday Fun Day is an annual event for us. It's always a really fantastic day. Uh, Out front, we're going to have just some events and fun games and carnival-type things and rides, and we'll have some food. Uh, And so we want you to be a part of that day. But we try to help you, if you're a part of our church family, with just a couple of times a year, just an easy invite Sunday, and that's one of them. So we don't want you to come alone. We want you to bring somebody with you for Sunday Fun Day. So I encourage you to go ahead and start thinking, praying, even kind of priming the pump a little bit, asking people to come with you for Sunday Fun Day on August the 20th. And then one little thing we're going to do on that day right between the two services is we're going to have a ribbon cutting. If you've not been tracking with us over the last few months, uh, we recently acquired this entire building. I know that there's other names on the building and things. Some of those tenants are a part of this property, and they continue to stay here. And now uh, we're the landlords, and they're paying us rent as we pay down the debt of this building. But the Lord, in his just sovereignty, faithfulness to us, the provision of your giving has allowed us to acquire all 36,000 square feet of this building and the surrounding property. Absolutely. And so I'm so thankful for that. But on that day, on August the 20th, we're going to have a ribbon cutting just to celebrate God's faithfulness and to really commemorate that day, kind of put a stake in the ground, a mile marker in the history and the story of our church. So we want you to be a part of that. 
and it's going to be a great, great day. But today, we're kicking off this new series called Figuring Out Family. And I told you a few months ago, we were kind of scrolling through Instagram. We heard that song for the first time, little Jonas Brothers song, big Jonas Brothers fan, and uh, heard these lyrics, and it was actually my wife Corey's idea. All good ideas come from Corey. And so she was talking about these lyrics of this song, and so we started thinking about them. This is, this is what the lyrics say. No, don't get stressed. It's going to get figured out. I'm not cool enough to say going to get, so that just means going to get figured out. Uh, oh, deep conversations at the Waffle House. All good things happen at Waffle House, too. Corey having great ideas at Waffle House. That's like the, the perfect trifecta there, or bifecta. I don't know. Anyway, so headstrong father and a determined mother. Oh, that's why some nights we tried to kill each other, but you know it's always love. And so when we started thinking about the lyrics of the chorus of this song, we started thinking about, man, that's kind of where a lot of families live. That, that, that identifies with so many things that we talk to families about, so many things that maybe you're walking through. Maybe, maybe the part of those lyrics that you identify with is the stress. Don't get stressed, right? There's some stress in your life, stress in your home. Maybe, maybe you're trying to figure out these, how to have conversation, these deep conversations. How do you talk to one another? How do you communicate together in family. Maybe, maybe you think headstrong father. Yep, got one of those. Maybe, maybe it's like determined mother. I know what that looks like in the context of family. Maybe some nights you've tried to kill each other. Anybody, any other family just want to be honest and admit that sometimes the biggest fights are on the way to church? Anybody want to admit that? In the first service, I said that, and honestly, two families stared at each other. I mean, I don't know what they fought about, but I was like, please come tell me afterwards, because this seemed like a doozy. I don't know what it was, but you just, sometimes you try to kill each other, But for all of us, where I hope we land is it's always love. It's always love. That's where we hope to get as families. We want that to be the reality for families. When we talk about families, it means a lot of different things. Some of the latest statistics from the U.S. Census Bureau, as of 2021, so these are a little bit older, say that there are 83.9 million families in the United States. 83.9 million families. Now, they are defining family as individuals, related individuals living in the same household. So this does not necessarily include those of you who say, like, I don't have a family that I'm building yet. I'm definitely a part of a family of origin, but I'm living by myself or I'm living with roommates I'm not related to. You're not included in that number. These are just related people living together under one roof, 83.9 million families in in that survey, that study uh, that the Census Bureau did. And and that also kind of brings into a clearer picture this statistic that blew my mind. As of 2022, there were 15.78 million children living at home with a single mom. Almost 16 million children living with a single mom. And then three and a half million children living with a single dad. And when you put those things together, you start to get a clearer picture now, maybe of some of the issues that we're facing in our country. They're not just for our country, but as you look around the world and you recognize that there's 18, 19, 20 million children living in a home with a single parent trying to play both roles. You're doing the best you can trying to figure it out. And then in these other homes... You got mom and dad, husband and wife. We, we believe in marriage. We believe when you live together, you should be married there together. And so you got these married couples, and that just brings in a whole new set of circumstances. And I, I, I was encouraged. We, Corey and I believe in marriage. We believe in God's design for marriage. We wrote a marriage book last fall called Your Marriage Matters. It comes right from the pages of Scripture. We believe that marriage matters, and God has a purpose for your marriage. And so we, we, we love this idea, this thought, and we want to challenge and encourage couples. But as I was thinking about this, I was, I was like a little bit discouraged trying to put this series together thinking about, but man, marriages are in trouble. 
There's so many negative statistics and negative stories about marriage, and maybe you've heard some of these, but let me just encourage you a little bit about marriage. Some of the the stories and the statistics that you've heard, they're just not true. Here's some, some of the latest statistics that I found. The number of married couples in the United States has steadily increased since 1960. Even as people continue to wait a little later to get married, even as as people are getting divorced and it may seem a little more prevalent, the number of married couples in the United States has continued to increase since 1960. On the other hand, the divorce rate in the United States has decreased since 1990. It's decreased. I mean, that's not something they're publicizing a lot, but the rate of divorce is actually going down. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I just thought it was funny. You know the the state with the highest rate of marriage? Anybody want to guess? Nevada, that was an all-skate, and you failed. So Nevada has the highest rate of marriage, right? Because you went there on a business trip, met somebody, and you did. Okay, so it's like they got married at a higher rate in Nevada. You want to know the state with the highest rate of divorce? Nevada, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't even know you, (laughs) right? I'm not going to live my life with you. Divorce in Nevada, on average, happens within 96 hours of saying I do. 96 hours. Not 96 years. It's like you, you don't even have time to eat six buffet meals in Nevada. And it's like, this is not going to work, right? And so in the, everywhere, all the other 49 states, it's decreasing. Nevada continues to be a place for divorce. It's often quoted that 50% of marriages end in divorce. Anybody ever heard that statistic? That's actually not a true statistic. It, it's, it's, a, it's a number that comes from a single study that was done in the early 1980s And that study was actually looking at the average lifespan, how long people were living in the early 1980s. The rate of divorce was at its peak. It was the highest it had ever been in the history of the United States. And so they were trying to figure out like, well, then then what do we do with marriage and divorce? And so they started to do some studies to try to estimate how likely it was that you might get divorced if you lived kind of the average lifespan. And they said at that point that like 50%, you were 50% likely uh, the likelihood of you getting divorced was 50%, and that number has continued to come down year over year over year, but it's still the most often quoted statistic related to marriage. It's just, it's just here, here's the deal. Families are messy. They're really messy. Everybody's got mess in their family. No matter how much you think your family is perfect, it's not. It just means you don't know all the stories yet, Right? And so here's some non-statistical, very subjective responses to a survey that I did when I asked, like, what are the issues that families are trying to figure out right now? Here's some of the responses that I got. Marital issues, raising kids in today's culture, overwhelming schedules, financial pressure, prioritizing faith, how to forgive a family member who hurt you, maintaining relationships with adult children and grandchildren. And maybe you've got all of these things figured out. Like, maybe you look at this list and you're like, no, we're not struggling with any of that. Well, then you're teaching next week, so I'm going to give you the notes. You can just come up here with all credibility and teach, because what, what we found in, in just digging into as much research as we could, because this is one of the things that you, say, you said to us on our annual Easter survey that you wanted to talk about was family, that there's a lot going on in family, and, and recent statistics tell us this, 70 to 80% of American families consider themselves to be dysfunctional. 70 to 80%. I put that statistic up this morning as we were going through the slides before the first service and somebody said, I think that just means the other 20 or 30% are lying, right? (laughs) Because there's some dysfunction in every family. So we're going to journey together over these next few weeks, not just to make us feel better, but to understand what does God's word say to us 
about family, about ourselves, and about what he desires for the unit of people, the tribe of people that we're doing life together with. So to start today, I want to talk about, you know, some very foundational things. And to do that, I want to go to a passage of Scripture, a chapter in Scripture that we refer to uh, pretty regularly here. It's where we, it's the chapter of Scripture where we draw the name of our church. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to Deuteronomy. It's in the Old Testament. It's pretty early in the Old Testament. This is a part of the origin story of the people of God. God's people are kind of, they eventually they went into captivity. They're coming out of captivity. And now God is establishing them as a nation. And the book of Deuteronomy is God's conversation through Moses with his people. And he's giving them instruction and commands and decrees about how they should live and what they should do and what they should not do. And this is what it says in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 6. Then we'll jump to verse 6. I'll tell you when that's happening. The purpose of these laws, these laws that I've been giving you, the purpose of these laws is to cause you, your children and your grandchildren, to reverence the Lord your God by obeying all of his instructions as long as you live. If you do... You will have long, prosperous years ahead of you. Verse 6, write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you, and then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. Deeply respect, verse 13, deeply respect God, your God, serve and worship him exclusively. Now, we are unapologetically about generational faith here at Generation Church. The, the logo that's on the building and on so many of the things that we have at our church, there's, there's three bars. It looks like the backwards kind of, looks like you're looking at an Adidas logo in the mirror. My brother says it looks like an investment firm. Uh, But it's the logo of our church. It's three bars. It represents three generations. You, your children, and your children's children. Because we want to constantly be reminded that we are living out a faith story that is not just about us. It's also about those who came before us and those who come after this. Uh, In in Deuteronomy 6 and another place, it says that when you get into the land that God has promised, you're going to drink from wells you didn't dig and eat from vineyards you didn't plant. That's recognizing that there were people on a faith journey before you started on your faith journey. And it's recognizing that some of the blessings of God that we participate in were blessings that came as a result of the prayers prayed by saints who've gone before us. And so we recognize that in Hebrews, it talks about this great cloud of witnesses. We are not, no matter how much you think you are, we are not self-made men and women. We are not. We stand on the shoulders of those who have come before. And so we recognize that faith is a generational thing. And some of you are like me. You come from a family of faith where, you know, some family members before you, they came before and they lived in instruction of God and kind of honored him and did the very best that they could, not in perfection, but in pursuit of this holy God, and they modeled for you to the best of their ability what it looks like, and that's, that's my story. But some of you, you didn't have that story, and you're here today because you're first generation of faith, folks. You've decided to put a stake in the ground and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what happened before. I don't care what they tried to pass on to me that were negative traits and all these different things that the generations before fought. Like, I'm just saying for for us, we're going to stay married no matter what they did. We're going to trust God no matter what they did. And we're going to make sure that our children and their children after them trust 
and serve and love God. We are unapologetically about generational faith. We've said that we exist because generations matter. And what we mean by that is that generations matter to God, and so they matter to us. Generations matter to God, and so they matter to us. And when you read through the Old Testament, you often see prayers that says to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That, that's, that's some grandpas and, and some uncles of the faith for these people of God that were trusting God to take new territory and, and do things that they weren't skilled enough to do. They're praying to a God to say, God, I'm trusting and believing that if you promised my grandfather, you will see it come to pass in my day. And they're trusting and believing God in that way, it was Jacob who blessed the sons of his son Joseph, his children's children. It was David who left the kingdom to Solomon to build the temple and lead God's people. And then we come to the New Testament, the first chapter, the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. We read these words in verse 1 and 2. The family tree of Jesus Christ, David's son, Abraham's son. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Judah and his brothers, verse 17. I just skipped you a bunch of names you probably couldn't pronounce anyway. I know I couldn't. There were 14 generations from Abraham to David and another 14 from David to the Babylonian exile and yet another 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to Christ. Generations matter to God, so they matter to us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to forgive people that hurt you, especially those that are in your home. We're going to talk about how to have hard conversations. We're going to talk about marriage and parenting and grandparenting. We're going to talk about schedules that seem to run our lives. And we're hoping to give you some hope that you can do this. It shouldn't scare you or intimidate you, but that you can figure out family because God helps us to understand what he has in mind for your family. But today, we're not going to start with how to have a hard conversation. We're not going to start with forgiveness. We're not going to start with discipline. We're not going to start with money management. We're going to start with this reality for all of us, that God desires for your family to be a family of faith. He desires for your family to be a family of faith. You can be a faith family. And right out of this passage in Deuteronomy 6, I just want to show you three quick things that I think jump off the pages to, to all of us. The first one is this, honor the Lord and obey his instructions. Honor the Lord and obey his instructions. We already read it, but verse two says this, the purpose of these laws is to cause you, your children, and your grandchildren to reverence and honor the Lord, your God, by obeying all his instructions as long as you live. This is not just learning lessons as a kid and then graduating. As long as you live, honoring and reverencing the Lord and obeying his Instructions, faith and the law and the Bible, these commands and these instructions that were being given to God's people, they weren't meant to be restrictive. Now, let me finish this thought before you're like, oh, what you about to preach? Like, I'm not saying that you can do whatever you want. Hopefully you've been here long enough to hear my heart on that. But I'm a dad, right? Corey and I have four kids. And there are things as parents that we say no to. Does that mean we're terrible parents? Well, sometimes our, parents, our kids thought we were, right? But out of our heart, what we were trying to do was create some guardrails for them to live within the freedom of life that we've extended to them, but also to keep them safe from the dangers that we knew were outside those guardrails. And that's the same thing that God does in his word. That's what he did to his people in the Old Testament. He said, hey, I want to give you some instruction and I want you to live in the freedom that I give you from these instructions, 
But what do we choose to focus on? We choose to focus on restriction. We, we choose to focus on not the, the do's, but the don'ts. Often, not everybody. I'm not going to indict everybody. You go all the way back to the very first story in the Garden of Eden. You had Adam and Eve. And God gave them this incredible garden, the Garden of Eden. I mean, there's so many blessings there, so many things that they could enjoy. He says, you go and just enjoy all of my creation. He says, but don't eat of this one tree, this tree of the, the fruit of knowledge. Like, don't, don't eat from this one tree. And what did they do? Like a toddler, they focused on the one thing they couldn't have. You ever raised a toddler? You're like, hey, don't touch that water bottle. Like, no, 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 don't touch the water bottle. It's like, hey, well, don't pick it up, right? You know how the rules change sometimes, like, especially when you're in a public restaurant. So it's like, don't pick it up, and then you leave the room or turn your back, and then you turn around, and you're like, did you pick up the water bottle? And you're like, no. That, that's what Adam and Eve did. They could have enjoyed all of the garden, and they chose to put themselves for long enough to have a conversation and be deceived. I saw this this week. That uh, husbands, if you ask your wife, like, hey, what do you want for dinner? And she won't choose. It's because the woman chose one time and we're all still paying for it, right? (laughs) And if you think that's not funny and you're mad at me, Aaron White gave me that joke. Be mad at him. (laughs) Right? We didn't focus on, Adam and Eve did not focus on all the blessings that were available to them. They focused on the one restriction. And so often we live our lives trying to figure out how close can we get to sin and deception and the things that we're not supposed to do. And we're like, why would God limit? Why would God keep me from? Why would God say no? When instead we should be focused on all that God has given to us in this world to be blessed in. And so it's not meant to be restrictive. It's not meant to keep us from all. It's meant because God knows, just like parents know, that there are some things you should abstain from because they are not God's best for you. They, they are not this abundant life that he desires for you. It's not the, the, the things that he chooses for you and I to live in. And so we trust God. We honor God. We obey his instructions. Children are encouraged to honor their father and their mother. It's the command with a promise. And the same is true when we start talking about our heavenly father, that we should honor him and trust that his instruction is for our good. So we've got to know what his instruction is. We've got to read his word. We've got to put it into our heart. We've got to understand what he's calling us to and what he's asking us to refrain from and why he might be asking us to refrain from those things. The heavenly father saying to all of us, I'm not trying to ruin your fun. I'm telling you to avoid these things because they lead to your destruction. Do you trust me? And as families, there's some filtering questions for all of us, but we got to recognize like we're called to honor God and to obey his instructions. So here's some really easy questions. I'll give you a few of these at each of these points. Where is our family not honoring the Lord? Where is our family not honoring the Lord? And the second is like it. Where is our family disobeying his instructions? Where are the things that we understand we should do or shouldn't do? And we're doing the opposite. We're just kind of doing whatever we want to do, whatever seems right in our own eyes. Where are we dishonoring the Lord and where are we disobeying his instruction? Here's some practicals. I just made a list of a few things that maybe you want to stop or maybe you want to start that kind of land in this area. Maybe we should stop watching and listening to certain things. This is not me trying to be legalistic, but I'm saying in our homes, if we want to honor God and obey his instructions, 
We need to be careful little eyes what we see and careful little ears what we hear because as we taught our children when they were very young, there's like this blank canvas in our heart and in our soul. And when we choose to bring these things into our hearts and our lives, it gets on that canvas. And the scripture tells us that eventually out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. You can't keep putting all this stuff in you and just believe it'll never come out of you because it will. And so maybe there's some things that we should stop. We should refrain Maybe we should start praying together before we go to bed or before we leave for work or school in the mornings. And maybe that's, that's a unique thought for you. Maybe prayer is a foreign language in your home. But maybe you just, you just start with meals if you've never prayed over meals. Maybe you, you pray a simple prayer you know, before bed at night. Or maybe, maybe you start tomorrow night. If you've got kids going back to school, you just pray for the school year. And I encourage you, just start to pray together to honor God. Maybe we stop using certain words in our home. Maybe we stop labeling some of the people in our home with some things that may stick in their life. Maybe we stop threatening certain things and using certain words. We're just going to stop some of those things in our home. Maybe we start prioritizing church attendance. And, and I, I recognize I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here today. And those watching online, no guilt or condemnation for you. But like, maybe we just start prioritizing for you and for your children, that your kids are going to be in G-Kids upstairs where they're poured into by Pastor Madeline, an amazing team of people that are just loving them and leading them towards Jesus. And Sunday nights, we have Generation Youth for middle school and high school students. And I know you're getting ready for Monday, and there's a lot of other things, but Sunday night, if you've got a middle schooler or high schooler, they need to be here. There's a group of, of leaders that love them and want to help invest in them and teach them in the ways of Christ. Maybe we prioritize, start to prioritize those things. Here's the second point. Make faith matter on Mondays. Make faith matter on Mondays. Deuteronomy 6 verse 6 says this, write these commandments that I give, I've given you today on your hearts. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you all get, fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city. This is one of my favorite parts of this entire passage because it normalizes faith. It makes the supernatural natural. It makes the extraordinary ordinary. And I don't say that because it's like dumbing down the gospel. I'm not talking about taking anything away from the power of God. I'm saying like faith doesn't just have to live on Sunday mornings in your life. Faith doesn't just have to be something you do on Sunday morning once or twice a month, and it's the only time you ever talk about it, and the only time you ever open your Bible app or the Bible that you have that's printed. Like, it can live on Mondays in your life. It can live on Thursdays in your home. Like, faith can matter beyond Sunday morning, and we've got to normalize that a little bit if our families are going to be families of faith. Like, how do we normalize that? How do we find ways to invest in the faith conversations of our families? And so we're going to talk about some practicals, but let me just start by giving you some filtering questions that I think will help to generate some of what we're talking about. How often are we talking about faith outside of church, in our homes, in our family? So let's talk about it all when you're sitting at the dinner table. Talk about, like when you go to lunch today, some of you are probably going to go to Waffle House, others Mexican, wherever you go. Those are the two best choices. Otherwise, you go wherever you want to go. But when you're sitting around the table, like take three minutes while you're waiting on your order. And just say, hey, what was, you know, what was the point today in the message that spoke to you the most? What, what, what was the challenging thing? Or ask your kids what they learned in G-Kids today. Ask your kids if they want to come to Generation Youth. Like, start talking about little faith-filled things. Tomorrow before you leave the house, like, just talk about it a little bit. Here, here's the second question. What role does our personal relationships with God have in our homes? Now, 
I told you that we are unapologetically about generational faith. But here's what you need to know. You are not saved because your dad was saved. You're not saved because your grandma prayed good prayers. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You are saved through the finished work of the cross that Jesus himself completed. And so like you have to experience that for yourself. You have to receive that free gift of salvation from God. But then we take it and we talk about it. And we say like, hey, here, here's what I'm reading and I'm struggling with. Here's what I don't understand. When I pray, like I feel like there's a ceiling above me and I don't know if my prayers are getting through. And have, has anybody ever felt that way? And you talk to your kids and you talk to your spouse and, and you, just, you just talk about your own growing personal relationship with God. And let me just say to you parents, like normalize this with your children. Let them know that you have a growing relationship with God, that, that the G Kids leaders in their classroom and the Generation Youth small group leaders on Sunday night, they are partnering with you in discipling your children. You haven't given that task away to somebody at the church. You are partnering with someone. Here's some practicals. Maybe start a Bible reading plan together as a family. Now, the YouVersion Bible app is one that I've used for years. Some of you are on that. There are thousands of Bible reading plans, but one of the things that you can do, you can make a free account, and if you need help, some of our staff can help you, and you can say, start with friends. Start reading with friends. Pick a, pick a plan and just pick like your kids or your spouse or your family. Grandparents, this is so easy for you to do with your grandchildren. They know more about technology than you do. They can probably help you set up your account, right? And just, just read the short devotional, read the little scriptures that come after it. And then my favorite thing about reading plans with friends is that at the end, there is a place for you to respond. It can be one word, one sentence, a paragraph. Man, when I read this, I don't understand what he means. This is really difficult for me. I love this passage. I think I understand what's happening here. And everybody that's reading that plan with you can see it. Not the whole world, just the three or four or five people that are in your plan that are reading together. Have those spiritual conversations together. Call family that, that doesn't really live where you live on Sunday afternoon and ask them if they went to church and what they did in church today, what the preacher preached about and what songs they sang. Just talk about things of faith. Text prayers and scriptures to one another. That may be overwhelming to you. My wife is fantastic at this. She'll just text our family, text individual members of our family, a scripture or a prayer, thinking about you, praying for you today. Like it's just, it's so simple, but man, it speaks volumes because you're making faith matter on Mondays. You're making faith matter on Mondays. Here's the third thing. You gotta make it personal and then pass it on. Make it personal and pass it on. Going back to verse six in the beginning of verse seven, it says this, get them, the law, the commands, the decrees, get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. Get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, you cannot pass on something you don't first possess for yourself. Right? You just think about inheritance. You can't leave money to your kids if you ain't got no money, Right? If you haven't prepared for it, if you haven't worked for it, if there's not something that you've done to leave something to your children and your children's children, like if you pass away and you didn't do anything in your life worth leaving to them, they're going to be left empty handed. The same is true in faith. Now, I know when you look at me, you think track star, right? I get it. I get it. I've got more of a swimmer's body, but I understand. But I do love to watch the Olympics, Right? And there's something really cool about the events where they've got to pass a baton. They've got to hand something off, right? I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not one that's ever done much of this, 
But in watching it over the years, I recognize that they start running and somewhere else down the track, there's a guy or a girl like looking back at them, waiting on them to finish their leg of the race, to like run the race that was set before them. 400 meters, 800 meters, 1600. Like they just got to run their part. Nobody can run it for them. They've got to run. They got to possess faith for themselves. You got to accept Jesus Christ and the work of the cross. You got to help let God do a work on the inside of you to create freedom over those things that you've been fighting and generations of your family have been struggling with. And you just, you just allow God to do a healing work and you got to run your race. But the race isn't over when your leg is done. Because there comes this moment when somebody in front of you starts running a little bit ahead of you because they don't start from a dead stop. They don't run, hand them this, and then they take off. If you've ever watched this race, as I'm running, the next guy starts running too. We try to match pace, and then I reach out, and he reaches back. This is the story of generational faith. Because there comes a moment of overlap in the story. When those who came before you are still living to share their stories of faith, and they're running, but you're now running your own story of faith, and you've got something to hand them. And so if you're in a future generation, you got to reach back. you got to say, hey, show me how good God is. Tell me the stories of faith that grew your faith. Tell me about the answered prayers and the testimonies of God's goodness. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, tell me those yesterday stories. And then we have a responsibility for those in front of us to give them something worthwhile. You you cannot just like run up and like tag their hand. You you can't just be like, all right, your turn. There's nothing to hand them. And some of the the, the like saddest parts of these races when you watch is when they drop the baton. They skip the handoff. One generation was running faster than the next. Or vice versa. They just, they didn't work together and they dropped the baton. And it could be like that passage in Judges that says, There came a generation who knew not the Lord, nor the things that he had done for them. Parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, those that are a part of some older generations, like you have an important job. It's vital what you do. God has done something in your life that's worth telling to those who are coming after you. And and here's what I love. We we just read it at at the uh, end of verse, I think it was seven or eight, but it says like, while you're still living here, like as long as you live, that was at the end of verse two, as long as you live, if there's still breath in your lungs, God's still using you. God still has a purpose for you, a plan for your life. So we just keep trusting God. God, get it on the inside of me verse 6 says. Get it on the inside of me and then help me to get it on the inside of my children. Let them personalize faith for themselves. Let them trust you, God, for themselves. I want to pass faith on. I want to make it personal and then pass it on. Here's some filtering questions. How would you currently rate your personal relationship with God? How would you rate your personal relationship with God right now? Like, what is... What does it look like in your hand, in the journey you're walking, the race you're running right now? How would you rate it? Where where are you at in this? What needs to be worked on? What does God need to be doing in your heart and life? And here's the second question. What are you doing to pass on faith to the next generation? What are you doing to grow personally, 
and then pass it on. Here's some practicals. Don't assume that tenure in the church equals spiritual growth. You can have been in the church a long time and still be far from God or still be where you were years ago. You gotta keep growing, keep pursuing, read your Bible, pray, jump into a group, find community, do life with other people who are growing. Pray for and with your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. Like whatever that looks like, personalize your faith and then pass it on, work at it. Rest in it, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let me just say as an aside to grandparents, we'll talk about this more throughout this series. Coming in October, we're hosting a grandparents summit, the Legacy Coalition. Registration's already open and available on our website. You can register for that. We're gonna stream an event with thousands of other grandparents around the country of how you can be a grandparent that just helps pass on faith to your children and grandchildren and just love them well and be present in their lives. And what does that look like? So I encourage you, go get some more information about the Grandparents Summit. But for all of us to recognize that we aren't just living our lives by ourselves. This is for you, your children, and your children's children. So what do you have in your hand? What are you handing them? What are you handing them? You really can be a faith family. It doesn't have to scare or intimidate you. And so to close our time, we already sang about this a little bit, but to close our time, I want to read the words of Jesus Christ. This is the message paraphrase from Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, and he says this. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and you don't work them into your life, You're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. And when storms rolled in and the winds came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. I've used some food illustrations and metaphors today. It just makes sense in my head. But for our families, faith cannot be like a side dish. It can't be an add-on. It's got to be the main thing. It's got to be the main dish. It's got to be the center of our homes, the center of our families. It's got to be everything that we do. It's all centered and grounded in faith in Jesus Christ for each individual person within our family and for our family as a unit. And I told you earlier, I'm so thankful for my heritage, for my my family, the family of origin on both sides of my family tree. I'm honored today to have my grandfather here. I told you he's, he's he's a mighty man of God. He's about this tall, but he's a mighty man of God. Longtime pastor. Loved God, still loves God, served faithfully God's people for so many years. I kept him up way too late last night. He didn't go to bed till almost one o'clock in the morning. I don't know the last time you stayed up till one, but I just kept peppering him with questions. Tell us your story. Talk to me about all the years of pastoring, seeing God's faithfulness. I want to hear those. I want it to grow my faith. I want to hear the funny stories about driving ambulances from St. Louis and all these places down to Dallas. I just want to hear those stories. I'm thankful for my heritage. And I have his, his wife, my grandmother, I have her Bible with me today. I'm preaching to you out of the story of faith that's been written and being written on my heart and my life. I've got a Bible that I write in that I'll one day leave to my children. 
I got a couple of Bibles I'm writing in so that they can not just read the words of God, but they can also read in my handwriting the things that God was speaking to me and saying to me over the years as I would read those words, those timeless truths of Scripture, of God's Word. I want to receive what's been given to me, and I want to hand off to those who come after me. I want to have a family of faith, and I want that for you too. I want it for you too. And, and I recognize some of you in the room, you're like, yeah, that's just, not, that's just not my story, but it can be. It can be. Maybe you don't have a grandfather to point to, but maybe you'll be the grandfather they point to. Maybe you don't have a marriage example to point to, but maybe your marriage will be the example they point to. Like it can happen and it can start with you. So we're going to pray today, but I want to encourage you. Trust God. Maybe you just start today by asking God a very simple but kind of hard question personally. You ask him this question. God, how can I make faith the foundational part of our family? As much as it depends on me. I may not have a ton of help yet. My kids may not be a part of this. My spouse may not agree with this. But as much as it depends on me, how can I make faith a foundational part, the foundational part of my family? I believe if you ask God that question and you pray that prayer, that God will help you to do so. I just believe he's faithful to do it. So here's what I'm going to ask you right where you're at. I just want you to bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me today, we're talking about a lot of things, but I, I need to have a personal relationship with God. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need him to forgive my sins and to be my Lord, to lead and guide my life. I, I can't ask God to do something in my family before he does it in me first. If that's you with nobody looking around, I just want you to lift your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? We're not in a hurry. In just a moment. I'm going to give you some instructions when we pray. And I'll give you some instructions about what you can pray as we, as we pray together. And now if you would say, for me, Jeremy, it's not really salvation, but I want my faith. I want my family to be a family of faith. And I want God to use me. If that's you, would you lift your hand? So many hands today. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for every person that's here, every person that's watching online. God, we thank you for all that you have done today and all that you're going to do in the weeks ahead. And God, I pray right now for every person that's acknowledged their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. And if that's you, if you lifted your hand, I encourage you right now, just even in a whisper, just to say, God, forgive my sins. Be the Lord of my life. And if you, if you will do just that, he is faithful and just to forgive you. We want to partner with you, give you resources. But just pray that prayer. Say, God, help me right now. Forgive my sins. Be my Lord. God, we thank you for salvation, this free gift that you give to us, the grace and mercy we don't deserve. God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hands to say, I, wanna, I want our family to be a, a family of faith. God, would you start with them? Help them to possess faith for themselves and then to pass it on, to invest it in their children and their grandchildren, for children to influence moms and dads that are far from God. We can't wait to hear the stories of what you're going to do and continue to grow and shape these families of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.